0: So now Andrea, I'm really pleased to say Andrea, is going to give us a Bible reading, a story um, about Jesus, and then she's going to explain um, what it might mean to us in our lives. Right. Here we go. It's from the book of Matthew. Uh, That's one of the Gospels, and the Gospels are full of lovely stories about Jesus, if you want to read to your children, that's where you start. You start with the Gospels. And this is how it reads When Jesus heard the news about John, he left there in a boat and went to a lonely place by himself. The people heard about it, so they left their towns and followed him by land. Jesus got out of the boat. And when he saw the large crowd, his heart was filled with pity for them, and he healed all those who were ill. That evening, his disciples came to him and said, It's already very late, and this is a lonely place. Send the people away and let them go to the villages to buy food for themselves. They don't have to leave, answered Jesus. You yourselves give them something to eat. All we have here are five loaves and two fish, they replied. Then bring them here to me, Jesus said. He ordered the people to sit down on the grass. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven and gave thanks to God. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. Wait for it. Everyone ate and had enough. Then the disciples took up 12 baskets full of what was left over. The number of men who ate was about 5,000, not counting women and children. How's that for unbelievable? Well, that started off, I don't know if you noticed, by saying that Jesus had heard about John, and took himself off to a lonely place. John was his cousin, and John was the person that had baptised Jesus in the river Jordan. Not sprinkled him like we've done to the babies today, but dunked him right under in the river. And he just heard that Herod had taken off John's head, and he was deeply grieved and he went off to find himself a lonely place to do his grieving. So sad. And what happened? The crowds spotted, heard where he was going, and followed him. And before he could look round, he was inundated with people. And Jesus was so amazing. And this is the first thing that we learn about Jesus from this bit of scripture, that he was able to Park his grief on shelf in order to deal with the present. So many of us are just ruled by our emotions. I can't deal with that now. I feel like this. I can't do that now. I feel like this. You know that feeling? I've felt it many times. But Jesus was so amazing, and he loved people so much. It, and the scripture said, his heart was filled with compassion and pity for them. And he saw that many people needed healing. And he wanted to deal with the problems that they brought to him. And his huge love for people poured out so that he could deal with them before he dealt with what was going on inside himself. An amazing, amazing Jesus. And then towards the end of the day, because they'd been there a long time, the disciples, his disciples, realised that the people would be getting hungry. And they said to the Lord, send them away. Send them to the nearest village where they can buy food. And Jesus made this surprising comment. He said, well, you feed them. And in another version of the same story, we're told that there was a little boy who had a picnic with him in a little picnic basket. Well, I couldn't come up with a basket, but I came up with an old bag. And it consisted of five barley loaves. Well, we're not talking about rapsolites from Sainsbury's. We're talking about little loaves. One, two, three, four, five. And two fish. Here we go. I don't think they had tinfoil in those days, but I thought you all might complain about the smell if I had it. One, two, Morrison's best mackerel. <laughs> and do you remember the numbers? 5,000 men. Not counting the women and children, so we can add that to at least six thousand. and he said to his men, "This is how you 're going to feed them." Well, frankly, if I'd been one of his disciples at that point, I would have been out of there. You can't be serious. you can 't be serious that for six, seven, eight thousand people altogether. imagine it. so there were we assume all the disciples were there and there were 12 of them. So this had to be divided into 12. First of all, Jesus prayed. So he probably would have lifted the the boy's picnic and asked for the Father's blessing upon this picnic. And apparently that's all that Jesus did, apart from handing it over to his disciples. So he would have gone something like this. One bit for John, one bit for Peter, and so on through his disciples. A little bit of fish, a little bit of fish. Oh, maybe that's a bit too much. I have a flannel somewhere. And um, <laughs> you have to be practical when you're doing this. And he would have sent them off with their little bit and said, here you go, you've got at least 500 to feed. How do you feel, Pads? If I said, get up, feed this lot with that, how would you feel? I think I'd say they'll still be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm going to put words in Jesus' mouth here. It's not in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus was sitting there on the grass saying, or breathing a whisper, trust me boys, there'll be enough. Trust me boys, there'll be enough. Because I don't believe that when Jesus blessed the food and asked for the Father's blessing on the food, suddenly there were trestle tables full. I believe that each disciple had this much and as they gave it out, it grew. I don't know how, because I'm not Jesus. But I believe it happened, because it's in here. And this is the truth. So it was the most amazing miracle. And I have to say, excuse me, I would have run. I definitely would have run. I would, looked, I would have hid behind a tree to watch what's happening though. <laughs> and I would say to you parents, if ever there's a job in the world that makes you feel inadequate, like the disciples felt that day, it's called parenting. I had four. And I never felt a very confident parent. I felt that my parenting skills were that size. I really did. And I say to you, what do you do? When you've fed them, you've burped them, you've rocked them, you've sung to them, and still they scream, what do you do? I didn't know what you did, and I wasn't very good at it. What do you do when they've got a temperature of 103 in the middle of the night? What do you do when every sweater in your wash goes to felt because they turned the temperature control up to 90? Remember that? I remember that. What do you do when they wee all over the floor of Tesco's? Oh, the mortification of it. I remember it. (laughs) Do you remember this? (laughs) Somebody remembers this. What do you do when they're bullied at school? Or worse, when you find out that they're the bully? I remember this. What do you do? It goes on and on. It doesn't stop. What do you do when they fail exams? What do you do when they try drugs? What do you do when they fail a driving test? What do you do when the love of their life walks out on them? What do you do when they lose a baby? What do you do when your daughter-in-law is on the phone to you and she bursts into tears and she sobs and she sobs and she sobs and she sobs and and then you find out it's your son who's been a pig? That's happened to me just recently. What do you do? I'm still a parent. I'm old. But you still feel it and you still feel inadequate. And you know, for me, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. For me, this inadequacy was suddenly halved again after 15 years of marriage because my husband died and when he died my four children were 13, 11 5 and 3 and suddenly I didn't even have that much to give I had half of it and do you know what Jesus was doing? He was doing what he did for the disciples He was sitting there saying, trust me gal, there'll be enough. Trust me gal, there'll be enough. How did I know what to do? How did I know how I was going to live on widow's pension and a little bit of help from the grandparents? How did I know? How how could I upkeep, do they upkeep of a house? How could I make decisions about their education? How could I cope with their illnesses on my own? How could I mop up their heartbreaks? How could I discipline them? And the questions went on and on and on. I fell out with God for a bit, you can imagine, can't you? But all the time he was saying, trust me, girl, there'll be enough. There'll be enough. And my testimony to God's love is that there's always been enough. And something very special happened the day after my husband died. I had my two youngest, who were five and three, called Nat and Tom, in the bath just before bedtime. And Tom, who was three three years old, he looked up at me and he said, where's daddy gone? And because my husband believed every word of this and had a relationship with Jesus, I could confidently say, daddy has gone to live with Jesus. And then he said, Tom said to me, I want to go and live with Jesus. I want to go and live with Daddy. And I said, I want you to live with Jesus and with Daddy too, Tom, but not now. Not now. I want you to live with me now, and I want you to live with me for a long, long time and not go to live with Jesus and with Daddy until you're an old man. And he said... How do I get there, mummy? Ooh, well, it's very hard to explain to a three-year-old the concepts of salvation, redemption, heaven, hell, and the whole caboodle. So I kept it simple. And I said, All you do, Tom, is you say to Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to say sorry for all the naughty things that I do, and I want you to take over, and I want you to be my friend. And he said, can I do that now? Well, I was amazed. So I got him at the bath and I wrapped him in a big towel and sat him on my lap. And I said, do you want to pray to Jesus now? And he said, yes. So I said, do you want to say it after me? So he said, yes. By which time I was in buckets of tears, as you can imagine. And we said a little prayer. And it went something like this. Dear Jesus... I'm sorry that sometimes I'm naughty, and I'll always be naughty, but I want you to forgive me. Tom didn't turn into an angel, by the way. And I want you to be my best friend and be in charge of my life, my whole life, however long I live. Amen. And that was it. That was his prayer. And Tom is now, hang on, I have to do the maths, 32. 32. And I have seen God's hand on that little chap's life through his whole life. Do you know, all through school, it wasn't his academic things that were notable. It was his attitude. It was what the teachers said about his attitude, his kindness, his thoughtfulness. Apparently, all the girls used to come and sit and eat their picnic lunch with him. He took part lunch at lunchtime. It wasn't fish and bread. And... um, They used to come and sit by him. Why? Because the other boys used to, (laughs) yeah, pull their hair, throw their textbooks across the playground, pinch their shoes, generally duff them up. And my little boy, because he had Jesus in here, was kind. sound like a boasting parent now, but it's nothing to do with me. It was all to do with Jesus. And Jesus has had an amazing anointing upon this child's life. And as an adult, he's done his college years, he now has set up a community bakery and a cookery school, and that's what he does for a living. And do you know, he's still the same child. He gives away loaves to people who haven't got any, he, he just loves people who are down and out, and takes it up residue of his loaves at the end of the day to charities and I still see Jesus working in his life day after day after day after day after day day. and it's because of that little prayer that he made when he was a three-year-old and you parents have introduced your children today with this little lovely ceremony we call baptism and this can go on for your children If you pray for them, love them, read them the stories of Jesus, and they will grow up with God's anointing upon their lives. I really encourage you to do it. This is just the first step for them. And I'm going to finish by just telling you a little quote, a wonderful quote that I read from a doctor of 30 years standing he was asked by somebody what had been the most important thing in all his years of practice as a doctor. And he said something like this. Of all the medicines and potions and regimes and therapies and things that I've advised, the most effective one through my 30 years of medicine has been a large dose of love. And the questioner came back to him and said, what if it doesn't work? And his answer was, double the dose. Don't you think that's wonderful? And that's what Jesus did for me. He doubled the dose. I halved my family. Well, that's what it felt like. I certainly halved my relationship. And Jesus came in and doubled the dose. And he wants to do the same for you. And you can keep it simple. Simple. You can use Tom's prayer. That's all it has to be. Lord, take charge of my life. Repent of the things that you do wrong. Just admit to Jesus where you go wrong. Naughty things, we call it for the children. The Bible calls it sin. Do you know what? I sin every day, and so I have to repent every day. And every day, Jesus doubles the dose and gives me more of his love. So may that be your experience. I pray that this day... Will not just be a significant day for your children, but for you as well, and that you too will know the love of God on your lives. Amen.